You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am one of your hosts, Derek, and I got our other host right here, Ryan. Yes, thank you for that marvelous introduction, Derek. You're welcome. You deserved it. Well, what a sweetheart. <laughs> um, we are Coming of Cage, your Nicolas Cage movie review podcast. On this episode of the show, we are discussing the 2013 movie, The Frozen Ground, written and directed by Scott Walker, starring, of course, Nicolas Cage, as well as Vanessa Hudgens and John Cusack. This movie is based on a true story uh, as horrible as that is i'll just do the imdb synopsis real quick an alaska state trooper partners with a young woman who escapes the clutches of a serial killer robert hansen to bring the murderer to justice so the big heavy film here um yeah i would want to give a shout out to uh, cage match which is another nicholas cage podcast that we uh guested on that's why we watched this one without spinning the wheel, really, because uh, we wanted to be familiar with this movie so that we could talk talk about it with them. Um, but yeah, check out their podcast as well. Yeah, so they pair two movies together. So we discussed The Frozen Ground and Pig with them uh, on their episode that is releasing, I believe, November 30th, 2023 is when that episode drops. So yeah, definitely go check that out for cage match there and you can always check out our full in-depth review of pig that's already out go to comingofcage.com for that or your podcast app of choice ryan you went into your vo voice there <laughs> voice over i, I have so voice. many so yeah many. it's really varied i've seen your sizzle reel Aww. um <laughs> okay <laughs> uh so yeah we before we get into any of this uh I'm going to I'm just going to throw out a major trigger warning. Yes. Uh for sexual assault um in many forms, uh torture, murder. I mean, usually we don't do trigger warnings for murder, but that is involved in this case. Um, Vi- so lots of violence and this is based on actual events, so it's not, yeah. you know. Yeah. So if that if that is something that uh that you struggle with listening to, then definitely this is not the episode for you and we Totally understand. So go listen to one of the other episodes where that is not a thing. Um, and yeah, so the way this usually works is that while we watch the movie separately, I made that sound like we watch them together, but we don't usually watch them together. As but, sad uh, as that I, makes me. I t- well, maybe we'll do one together someday. But uh, yeah, we I sit down and kind of take notes throughout the movie and we just kind of go chronologically through the movie. I will just say in advance, I already warned Derek that because of the other podcast we recorded, I had to watch this earlier than I normally would. So I'm not as fresh on this movie. So I'm going to be relying on Derek to fill in whatever crazy scrawlings I have in here, what the actual meaning of them is. Oh, boy. Sometimes he's good at deciphering that and sometimes he's not. So we'll see what happens. But he always tries his hardest. And I I respect that. Well, you know, I did take Ryan as a second language. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's required in the Missouri and Kansas <laughs> curriculums. Um, anyway, yeah, so this movie started out with a Bible quote. That was my first note, Bible quote, which for me is already an instant red flag going into a movie. 
it just reminds me of left behind uh which just was a traumatic yeah. experience not a um, great connection to make when you're watching a movie right yeah you know? that's not one you want to associate with yourself with in general um my, yeah. my first thing that i caught was so you know they do all the big production studios get there yeah, and there's like six of them there's a bunch of them and one of them is cheetah vision <laughs> and there's just there's a cheetah with like crosshairs and like look guys like I'm not no say on your work or anything like that but like when you're doing a really heavy material like this and you just see cheetah vision with this big cheetah and, and it just i kind of giggled and i feel bad about that that was weird we commented on that too <laughs> It's not really the message you want to receive, right? Or you want to send right before a uh, serious movie like this. But yeah, you know, when you're funding these indie films, you got to get money where you, where you can get it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we start off with a police interrogation of a woman who we come to know later as Cindy Paulson, uh, who is a prostitute. Mm hmm. Uh, we don't really know what's going on with her at this point, but we saw the police take handcuffs off her and rescue her, it seems like. Uh, so it seems like she just escaped from some really bad situation. Mm-hmm. And the police are less than helpful. Uh, yeah, they're extremely dismissive. And as the movie goes on, you learn that a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of them are just dismissive of anything that happens to a sex worker. Right. Correct. Which. Yeah. Is it, you know, people do that. This is based on a true story, right? They tried to get things accurate. It's just, it's a sad reality that people feel that way. Um, but, you know, if that's where our hero comes in. Yeah, our uh, sex working in this movie is very common wherever they're at. I don't remember the, Anchorage. the specific city, but yeah, there's like a whole area that the police know is like where all the sex workers hang out. I guess it's worth noting this movie takes place in 1983. Yeah. Right. So they're in Anchorage, Alaska, 1983 going into winter. I've never been to Alaska. I have to imagine that in the early eighties, there wasn't a whole lot to do. I have been in Alaska to Alaska, but not, not in the early eighties. It was a little bit after that. And uh, I didn't see any prostitution while I was there. So, you know, were you looking your experiences may vary. No, I was not (laughs) looking on my family vacation for a prostitute. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, one to 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 your point about them being dismissive of sex workers. One of them made a really like crude joke about if if you uh, that you can't rape a prostitute or something yeah. like that is just unnecessary. I think even in the context of the film, like there's other ways of showing that the police are dismissive of sex workers without making jokes about rape. Um, but, you know, that's the way this movie went. And we get to see our, our officer Cage, which is not his name in the movie, but he is a police officer, which is our bing- on our bingo card. Woo, um, ding! Yeah, and I put I put next to it Family Man, not based on the movie. <laughs> more just the fact that he is a family man. They established that early on that, you know, I don't... I mean, I guess I know why they did it, but it's his wife has almost no role in the movie. She has, I think, two lines. Um, well so she's there to give like this sense of urgency because they're supposed to be moving um and he's retiring 48 um well he's changing careers he's leaving the force right to go work in oil or something 
And so like their house is being packed up and they're supposed to be leaving. So it's, you know, I was three days away from retirement. Yeah, kinda... that was my next note is a co- <laughs> typical cop getting ready to retire storyline. Yeah, a little cliched, but, you know, again, based on a true story. So, you know, sometimes it just lines up. Yeah, yeah. So this, uh, we, the murderer, we learn, is somebody that has multiple times gone to this particular strip club and said to the women that he would offer them a free photo shoot not free he's he's paying oh, oh three hundred dollars or something like yeah, that yeah he's paying yeah. for a photo that's shoot. right yeah um yeah it's or yeah that's how he got him because free wouldn't be yeah he's paying them to come and do a photo shoot with him um and then they get you know uh victimized um so there it, it follows this other girl that was falling for this mm-hmm. um and for some reason she brought her dog which I thought was interesting. And then we never heard what happened to the dog. I forgot about that. Yeah. We never learn what happens. Yeah. To the dog. Which in a movie where a bunch of women are raped and murdered. I mean, finding out what happens to the dog is probably a lesser priority, but they do make it a point to show the dog and like comment about the dog. I could see that coming up when they're trying to find evidence and things like that, you know, like coming across like a clearly not wild dog or something, you know, right. That's interesting. I actually forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah, they never addressed that throughout the movie. I thought that was a little weird. Yeah. Also, just who brings their dog to a paid photo shoot? That seems a little weird, but you know, whatever. Um, my next note is the strip, which I'm assuming is just talking about the, what they call the area that has all the prostitutes mm-hmm. hanging out, and it's a the red light district, if you will. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, it kind of reminded me of that other movie with the other Nicolas Cage movie that we watched with uh, where he had the tape. What was that where they had to investigate the tape for the smut movie or whatever? Oh, eight millimeter. Is that what that was? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that one. Uh, there was also some more places where it's just like strings of sex workers and things like that. But mm-hmm. it did kind of remind me of that because it's like a crowded street. There's a lot it of was... things happening on the street. Yeah, it's it probably the busiest busy. street in the city, I imagine. <laughs> Yeah, like you said, I, not a lot to do in Alaska. I, I guess that's got to be it, right? Like, there just there wasn't a lot available to them. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't do a deep dive, so I don't I don't know how that all worked out, right? In real life. Um. So then we get some nudity, which a is lot. Odd, which I'm not I'm not getting like that because I'm personally excited about nudity. It's more just because there's a bingo uh, square on our bingo card for it, so sure, we have to yeah. cross that off. Yeah. Um. And then we have the bracelet. Well, so you're, you're jumping ahead a little bit. Well, there's those two are right next to each other. So I just <laughs> so, didn't I just didn't go into depth about the nudity. Yeah, well, no, it's all good. So there, there's one thing I want to kind of go back and talk a little bit about our antagonist in the movie here. So this is Robert Hansen is who Cindy Paulson is accusing of kidnapping her and doing all these horrible, terrible things to her. And part of the reason why the police are taking it lightly and not taking her seriously and, you know, assuming she's lying and things like that is he, of course, is an upstanding, respected member of the community. Right. And so which is shocking when you get to the end of the movie, because we find out that he's been arrested like half a dozen times on other aggressive, violent charges right but for some reason at this point he has no record all of a sudden we've just we've forgotten 
you know oh that robert that robert my bad i pulled a different robert's file like you know it just that really threw me off that like as the movie progresses we learn more and more about crimes he committed and served time for but at the beginning of the movie it was he's never done anything wrong yeah and it's not like it's a twist because from the beginning of the movie you know that he's the guy that is doing it you know they don't make it it's not like a mystery they they show, show yeah they show him very very quick it's john cusack's character they show him extremely quick. Um, had, they, had they done the, the bread shop scene yet? Probably, point, yeah. you know, so like, I guess he owns or works in this bread shop and, you know, or, or bakery. I mean, is probably the appropriate word for. for sure. Yeah, I think that's what most people would call it. Yeah. That's what they're called. Uh, bakery breaderies. Um, and he, you know, he's friendly. He's personable. Everybody knows his name. It's very cheers esque at this point. Right. Um, before obviously we get to see the real him, right? Yeah. But yeah, the bracelet thing. So this is the sister of one of the victims or one of the women who are missing. I guess right, who Mr. Cage, Officer Cage, he's investigating all these murders, trying to put together if it's the same killer because some of the things about the murders or, or missing persons match. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he goes and talks to the sister of this or the sister reaches out, I think, when they're open, reopening the file or something, something like that. In any case, the two of them get in contact with each other and they go out and have a meeting at a coffee shop or something like that. And uh, does that count as an awkward diner scene? <laughs> no, it was a coffee shop, not a diner. But okay. <laughs> we did. We, I did mention that. Um, but yeah, that's another square in our bingo for those not familiar. But we didn't get an awkward diner scene in this movie. Um but yeah, so they have this little meeting and during the meeting, the sister gives a bracelet to Officer Cage and says, my sister had a matching one of these. She would have never taken it off. I want you to have it to, to remember what happened or something like that. And uh, so right away, me and Derek, you know, being really smart movie watchers. Big brain over here. Experienced critics know that now we have a MacGuffin in this movie that's going to be the the linchpin for everything. Um, so yeah, eh, spoiler alert, it ends up being the linchpin for everything, essentially. Though um, I do think it's worth noting that that's only in the film version of these tales, and that's not the big thing in reality. Just want to throw that out there. Fair enough. Yeah. So my next note is says, making this poor girl relive this shit over and over. So they... Right at the beginning, they interrogate uh, Cindy Paulson about what happened to her and make her, you know, in depth describe like the rape and the torture and the, uh, you know, being chained to a post and things like that. And, uh, you know, it's traumatic. She's like crying and smoking a cigarette and everything else. Well, then they make her relive this crap like three or four times throughout this movie and tell the same story. And every time she's emotional, as a normal human would be. And I mean, it's just crazy how much and, and she, they don't get any new information, really, every time they do this. So it seems especially cruel. No, the only thing that really changes is the second time we learn that she had lied about her age. So in the beginning of the movie, she says she's 23. Um, and then when Nick Cage's character, uh, Jack Halcombe, when he is questioning her, I wouldn't say interrogates. He's much nicer, right, than the other cops, because um, he already believes her. 
Yeah. Right. He thinks she's telling the truth and he wants to catch this guy. Whereas the other cops are trying to find reasons to not believe her. Um, but she does admit that she's 18. Yeah. And she was 17 when she started prostituting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, then this is, this is the time when they start like showing video of her, what happened to her. Um, my next note is that he's keeping women chained and crying because yeah, he, it shows her like chained to a post in his log cabin mm-hmm. and, you know, peeing on the floor because she can't go to the bathroom. So, okay. So this threw me off a little bit. I think that's supposed to be the current girl that he has. Oh, is it? Because there's like a vignette that kind of happens throughout a, the middle of the movie here where we keep cutting to him with this other girl and he eventually spoiler alert jumping ahead here a little bit he eventually kills her yeah in the forest and so i think that's that woman whoever that is yeah either way it's just giving us more context as to what is happening to these women and uh it's it's sad and terrible uh yeah like the woman pees on the floor and then he realizes that after he steps in it and makes her clean it up and uh you know she's hurting herself trying to get out of these chains and it's just yeah it's a it's a pretty brutal scene yeah um and after that scene they bring up that seven that seven girls they think were taken this way uh and that they were kidnapped for a week before they were murdered as best Mm -hmm. they can tell yep yeah so the numbers start to climb Right. And the the pieces kind of start fitting together that like this has happened many times over the years. Right. Um, and then we get more strip club nudity. Uh <laughs> you mentioned it on the other podcast that, that we were on, Derek, but there was a lot of nudity in this movie, more so than most of the movies we've watched. I mean, I uh, think that like I think it might have the most out of the movies. It's we've pretty seen close so for far. sure, yeah. Um, because like, yeah, Alexander like Lee has a lot of nudity, but it's like the same three people the entire time, aside from like one scene versus yeah. this movie. Like there are several scenes and there's like, you know, dozens of, of women. Um, yeah, there's strip club scenes. I mean, we get a lot of strip club scenes and Nicolas Cage movies with varying, you know, with varying levels of nudity. Um, but this one is, yeah, it was all hanging out there and. And there was a lot of scenes in this club. So it was a prominent place in the movie. So mm-hmm. um, the around this time, the police find another body. Right. Yeah. By the they find, throughout the movie, they find, I think, three bodies or something like that, uh, that were all buried, like within a mile of each other. Um, so. Uh, That's where they find the shell casing. Yes, they the find a shell, a shell casing for the 223 with the body. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this point, we see Cindy going on the like on the strip trying to prostitute herself again. And uh, she runs into uh, another prostitute that asks her what she's doing and why she's there without a pimp, basically. Yeah, like she's playing really young. So like, OK, so to, to kind of clear up a couple of things like sh- she yeah, she'd been doing this like in other cities and stuff like that, but she's still kind of new to Anchorage. Right. And so at this point she's extremely distraught. She's all alone. And yeah, this, this other woman like takes her in, so to speak. Right. To Which, get her off the know, street. It also is kind of taking advantage of her, I think, because you know, so the, 
going I, just a little bit ahead. She gives her a bunch of drugs yeah. that she hadn't used before. So seemingly getting her, you know, uh, potentially addicted to another drug and then uh, convinces her while she's high to strip for money instead of prostituting herself at this club. Yeah. I mean, I I, I feel like that woman w- thought she was protecting her. Right, like lesser of two evils kind of situation. Like, don't be on the street by yourself alone. Come in here. I think it could also it could go either way in terms of like she could have just been manipulative, but she or she could have been helpful. Hard hard to say. I I tend to agree with you that it was more like she was, you know, thinking that she was being helpful, but you know, I think in the long run that probably didn't really help much. Um, so yeah, they convince her to strip and she goes out and starts dancing and uh 50 Cent shows up. Yeah. Yeah, his character is a little odd in this one because I'm still not entirely sure what he was trying to accomplish in this movie. Um yeah. because in that first meeting, you're not even necessarily sure who he is or what he is to Cindy. Right? Like they could they, he, he comes in talking like that he knows her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's talking in such a way where they, they could they could be friends. They could be partners, acquaintances, you know, Co-workers. whatever. Right. And like later we learn that like he's basically a pimp. But the way he, he the way he is handling things is very strange in each scene. Yeah. If he's a pimp, he's not a not a great one. Not very good. I would say, it. yeah. I mean, also, there's a really, really bad hairpiece in this movie. Um, <laughs> but, guy. you know, it is what it is. It's, yeah. you, we get these movies with the rappers uh, and Nick Cage. That might be a bingo card if we get any, any more of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So he runs in. He's, he's mad at her because she's doing things without his representation or whatever. Um, at least that's the implication. Uh, and then it, it's after this, you know, she's it shows her stripping or whatever, and then it goes to back to Robert Hansen, who's with uh, a, the girl, the other girl that he was torturing before that we saw, and he's taking her on a plane ride. So it's implied that he's some sort of a pilot or has like a pilot's license and his own small aircraft and access to this uh, airport to take off and. Yeah, I, I have a big problem with this part of the story. And and again, like I, I, I try to do a little bit of research here and it, it was 1983. So maybe this is just the time. But he was not granted a pilot's license. He was denied a pilot's license for psychological reasons. Yet he you don't flies. find that out until later in the movie, though. No, we don't find it out till later, but he flies all the time. Yeah, including taking off while in a police chase, essentially. <laughs> In terrible weather with a yeah. miner on board, like he's bringing people on these planes, right? Like, I just don't understand. How... Even if they can't prove the murders, like, I feel like he should be brought up on charges for some some of that stuff. Right. But, you know, Anchorage, Alaska probably has a lot more airspace that's free to fly in. And so it's less of a big deal. I don't know. But yeah, so he takes her on an airplane ride and uh, he takes her you know he lands on a frozen lake and takes her out into the woods and essentially hunts her Mm -hmm. 
um he like handcuffs her to a tree and then sets some stuff up and then takes the handcuffs off and of course she runs and uh he, you know he pulls out a hunting rifle and shoots her and then goes up to her while she's still alive on the ground and and finishes her off with a pistol mm-hmm. um and then just leaves as if nothing you know happened lands this plane again and moves on um so yeah i had hunting people as my next note and then i had casual racism the n-word got dropped i don't remember who said it it wasn't nicholas cage's character okay yeah i don't recall that but okay um i i would i would guess that it was the villain or like robert hansen or uh potentially one of the cops but yeah um so we get a probably the best scene in this movie i think shortly after this mm-hmm. where uh nick cage and uh Vanessa Hudgens are sitting, I think, at uh, like an ice skating rink or something like that. That is a good scene. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's talking about all this stuff that she went through. And at this point, Nick Nick is trying to, like, you know, take care of her and protect her and keep her safe. And she runs away from him like six times throughout this movie and almost dies over and over again. every time. Yeah. Um, but you know they're talking about it and she had noticed earlier in the movie that he had a picture of a woman on his desk um and that it was his sister and she asked about it and he wouldn't answer um that was during one of the early interrogations mm-hmm. uh and at this point you know she's going over a bunch of stuff with him and like you know t- explaining things about her life and you know he she says something about like why would i trust you when you can't even share a little bit of information with me about your sister or something like that and she starts to leave and then uh, Nicholas Cage starts explaining about his sister's death. And it was, you know, it's it, it was not like a super long scene or anything, but it was he was good in it. She was good in it. She comes to sit down when he starts talking about what happened again. And, uh, you know, it's one of the better acted scenes, I would I think, in this movie. There's a couple. John Cusack has some good scenes, too. Um, but yeah, but uh, as far as our you know, uh, protagonists, that I think this was probably the better scene for them. I agree. I think Cusack's given a little bit more to work with throughout the yeah, course of true. the film because he's kind of playing like two very different personalities. Whereas you know, Vanessa Hudgens kind of has to play this this scared, lonely victim type person for the most part throughout the whole film and then nick has to play the kind of the empathetic sympathetic police detective you right. know um they don't really get to break out of those roles much uh vanessa gets a couple of moments where she gets to be a little bit outside of that but but overall they're very kind of on the straight and narrow for what their roles are um cusack gets to play the the aloof friendly community member and the like diabolical horrible killer um and especially when we get to the interrogation scenes towards the end and he has to kind of walk the line between the two i mean cusack does a great job in in this agreed uh so then i realized that we had i brought this up on the other podcast so it's not a big surprise for derek but we had uh two actors from the ghostbusters universe who were acting in a, in the same scene together. And it was probably the first time that they've been together, I imagine, since Ghostbusters 2 came out. So I thought that was interesting. They weren't in the same scene in Ghostbusters 2, but 
Um, I'm sure sh- they potentially met each other on set at some point. In any case, one of the actors, which was uh, when Peter Venkman has his world of the psychic uh, show early on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the guys that's predicting the end of the world in that movie is in the scene. And then uh, a guy that works from the mayor's office, that's kind of the antagonist, one of the antagonists other than Vigo in Ghostbusters 2, um, was also in the scene and they're, trying to decide on giving a warrant for i don't remember if it was a search warrant or arrest warrant or what it was it's, it's a search warrant to to search his home and everything oh for like the that. guns and stuff like that yeah yeah so you're talking um, about kurt fuller and kevin dunn i believe could be I yeah who you're talking about yeah they because nick wants all these warrants to like search the guy's house and his car and his cabin and like all this other stuff and the judge is is everyone is so like walking on eggshells scared to like cross this guy and i gotta be honest the movie never sells that to me yeah i never really was scared of the guy he's picking on women that are you know that he's been torturing for a week that are you know probably weak and scared and you know everything else and then hunting them as they run not that fast away from him because they're malnourished at this point everything else you know he's not like a particularly badass person or anything no, but like you know, they paint. They're trying to paint him as like this community member, but like he's not. Wealthy. Yeah, we get the one just, bread scene, and that's about yeah. it. And it's that's not like the he's a politician. Yeah, right. so like I just don't know what the risk is um, in this particular case, but you know, I don't know either. I I also found that to be a little unbelievable. Yeah. Um, we also, you know, after that scene with the uh, trying to get the warrant, Nick's wife finally gets some lines. <laughs> Um, where because he brings the girl back to his house to stay and uh, you know, to try and protect her, and his wife is questioning this decision. And of course, the girl overhears it and leaves, runs off again for I think the third time. Yeah, and I had an, the next note was back to pimp. I don't know if she went back to 50 Cent at this point, yeah, I believe or she, she was looking for him, maybe she she's she i'm pretty sure she takes a cab there i'm pretty sure and then we get a random moose scene oh yeah where yeah. like she's just like walking in an alley and a moose shows up well because it she, gets really close to her it's like she, scary close Me, moose are freaking big man like really big as big as you think they are when in your mind they're bigger than that in real life i mean they're huge so well, being that close to one is terrifying part of that scene you were talking about the ice skating scene she talks about how she would like to have worked like with animal life yeah and i think that was supposed to be because this random moose is walking up to her that now she's or was it like was it like the other movie where he where he was hallucinating the iguanas (laughs) no i'm pretty (laughs) sure she saw it but i think this was just her opportunity to get a glimpse of what could have been yeah and she goes back to the club after the moose in- encounter, the strip club, and uh, the the villain comes in there and sees him, mm-hmm. or sees her, and Answer, she sees yeah. him, and uh, she starts like running at this point. I think this is when when she starts running, and uh, oh, or she goes to the back, and they tell her to calm down. I don't know. My next one is bathroom drugs. I'm trying to remember how we got from the from that to the bathroom drug scene. Yeah, that's a little bit later. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, there is there's a scene a little bit later where she's doing drugs in the bathroom at the club. 
and um he's hansen's like trying to find her now that he knows that she's around and you know so they it's a very like common movie trick in in tension scenes like this where he's looking for her and you know we know she's in the bathroom and he's opening a door that clearly looks you know they're shooting it in such a way that's supposed to make it look like he's going where she is and you know then it's this other guy that that finds her she's basically od'd and so you know then she's taken to the hospital yeah right where we have to do the whole thing over again and another interrogation yeah nick's like you gotta stay here stay safe yada 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 yeah, so then the guy, the villain, Robert Hansen, goes to some random street guy that he knows and says, hey, I need you to find this girl. Because I guess since he's been murdering all these strippers, uh, sex workers, he's developed a relationship with some of the pimps and, like, you know, less than legal people hanging out, doing business there. And so, yeah, he goes to this guy and he's like, I need you to find this girl for me and then he knows that 50 cents character is the one that uh like represents her or whatever so he goes to 50 cents character and says hey i need this girl in two days and then your debt will be paid apparently he owed some debt they never really well so this is another thing that's a little weird so like it's ten thousand dollars for this dude to find cindy ten grand in and 1983 in 1983 money yeah right like <clears throat> where is that why money? is he so scared of this guy that he's willing to front all this money to get you know what i mean like it's just that thing where he's established in the community as somebody you don't want to upset like this underworld kind of uh mm-hmm. you know woman prostitute or we are woman pimping guy is so scared of this random dude that runs a bakery that he's willing to pay off 50 cents debt to find this girl. Well, I think, I I think it's because Hanson's paying that same amount. He's basically saying like 50 cent owes him 10 grand. Cusack's going to give him 10 grand. So as long as 50 cent can just give me this girl, we'll consider it even. But then he makes no money. I don't know. It's a weird either way. Well, I think in his mind, he gets the money back. Whereas right now, 50 cents, not going to pay it. Right. He's not getting it. Right now, he's not getting his money back. And so he sees this as like the one way to get his money back. Yeah. So he tells he tells 50 cent, get me the girl in two days or whatever. And so he's trying to get her the girl or get get the get him the girl. Um, I think this is the point where they finally get the warrant mm-hmm. and start searching his house and uh, they don't find anything for a long time. Like they spend a day, a full day, basically going through everything and not finding any. They found guns, but none of the guns are uh, chambered in 223. Well, so I guess one bit we kind of skipped a little bit ago was um, they are staking out his house at one point and yeah. he catches on to that. And so he takes that's a bunch when, of stuff. That's when he goes in the plane in the storm. In the storm with his son. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he stashes a bunch of stuff out in, in the forest after after flying for a while. Yeah. And so the cops, Nick in particular, they're all worried that the dude dumped his dumped all of the evidence. Right. So. And that they'll never find it. Right. Um, yeah. So they get a warrant and they're doing all that. Uh, and at the time they arrest him around this time too and bring him in for interrogation mm-hmm. 
Uh, and yeah, we get some really good scenes of him being interrogated um, where he's, like you said, playing two sides of a coin, essentially. Uh, a guy that paid or that served his time for his crimes and, you know, it's just a guy that had bad circumstances or whatever. And he plays it up really well. Well, and... so before the interrogation, there is the end of 50 Cent. Oh, yeah, he is killed. So, so, so I want to ask you a question about this scene. Okay, so Fiddy gets Cindy. Cindy thinks that, you know, they're going to go and leave Anchorage together, right? So for some, she, to some level, she trusts him enough to go with him, right? And he then meets up with the dude that Cusack paid off. Yeah. Okay, and it's in the middle of nowhere. It's snowing. She's freaking out, of course, right? And then Fiddy Scent pulls a gun on this dude. Yeah. So what do you think he was trying to accomplish he gets killed so it didn't work but what do you think his goal was i you know part of me thinks that maybe he was trying to protect his girl and then the other part of me thinks that maybe he's just going to take the money that that the guy had i don't know he just assumed the guy had the ten thousand dollars or whatever on him i don't think he knew about the money i don't know well he knew that there was that his debt was being paid somehow and i it wasn't just by service i mean I don't know. It, it's it's a really weird scene, but yeah, he gets clapped pretty quickly, and uh, and then the, there's a chase, and that mm-hmm. isn't that the the interrogation is happening before this. By the way, you you kind of jumped ahead because I is have a it? note that says pimp murder shortly after the interrogate interrogating murderer. It doesn't matter. But how is she there then? Well, the- she gets she gets there later as the interrogation is still going on. They're interrogating him for a while. Without Nick Nick Cage because he has to yes. leave. Okay. Well, I guess I didn't realize that. Okay. Okay. I got you now. Um, yeah, because then the motel confrontation happens. Right. Um, between people. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't yeah. remember much of this. <laughs> Nick, Nick, so Nick's been working on and off with this guy uh, who's in another branch of. I oh, that's like, right. I forget exactly. Vice. He's maybe. been helping him. Yeah, he's yeah. been helping him. Like deal with the streets of this guy like knows he knows like what the strip is like and he knows who's who and things like that and so he's helping like find cindy and then they have to confront the dude who's trying to to basically take her away um but but they get her and then we have like the really big climactic interrogation stuff right you know and they they found a map and the map's got all these places marked and where they found two of them or where they found bodies or something like that well because hansen keeps oh i hunt there this is where i hunt that's where i hunt like well this is where this body was found this is where this body was found there's like 20 something 24 i think marks on the map right right and you know cusack's like like we found the gun we know it's gonna match you know your the the shell that we found and then Um, yeah nick gets the brilliant idea to bluff with the uh bracelet well, because the guy's not cracking. He's not right. he's not confessing. They need him to confess. Yeah. And at this point, he has a lawyer there. He does. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Nick, so Nick busts in with the bracelet that he was given, which is not the bracelet from the victim, which you see that he dumped. Right. It was in that pile of stuff he grabbed when he ran to the plane. And uh, but he he goes in with the bracelet that he has and he uses that to convince um, the murderer that you know, they found all the evidence and then he's, he starts just spilling the beans. Like the trope, you know, happens. <laughs> they've, they figured out one piece of his plan. So he figures he might as well just spill everything. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then, yeah. well, that they then they open a door, and there's Cindy. Yeah, staring at him. And he, and she, it's, it's a very a few good out. men. You know, you can't handle the truth. And he's like, I should have killed you when I had the chance. And right, you know, it all falls apart at that point. Yeah, and that's basically where the movie ends. Um, some key key things to be aware in real life. That's not how he confessed. He he confessed after they matched the gun to the shell. Um, he confessed to seven murders because apparently confessing to more than that would have been a, a much more ridiculous sentence. He ended up con- confessing to more later, and it could have been like, it's possible it was as many as 30 people over yeah. the years. We'll never really know. The thing that kind of left my bad, my, my bad taste in my mouth at the end of this movie is that after the movie is essentially over, they start showing pictures of all the women and their, you know, the information about them, whether the body was found and things like that. But it, it, that makes it seem like this is a, you know, selfless thing where they're trying to raise awareness for, you know, this these crimes that happen. But in reality, this is a for-profit movie that a studio made and probably didn't donate a bunch of money to the victims' families or anything like that. Um, so I, I always hate that when it's kind of acting like this is a you know something that they were doing to give exposure to the families when in reality they the studio i'm sure made some money well so as it turns out the studio didn't really make any money off of this film well they wanted to well so so here's here's what's interesting the movie was originally planned to have a full wide 2000 theater release like a normal film yeah but right before it was going to come out um, Lionsgate purchased Summit Entertainment, which th- was making this movie. And then they thought they had too many films on their slate. So it had a really limited run and was released to VOD um, at the same time as its very limited theater run. So the whole movie, like it made next to nothing. It made like $5 million or something like that, uh, which was a big loss because uh, it needed to make like 30, 35 million just to break even. Yeah. Um, well, but, the intent was to make yeah. money with it. Oh, totally. Even though that wasn't how it worked out due to a bunch of corporate stuff. But 100%. Um, now, Cindy Paulson, like, she actually assisted um, with the story uh, and, and having this made. She allowed herself to be interviewed by them for many, many, many hours, um, covering a lot of things that she never really talked about in any other interviews or anything else like that. <clears throat> um, so she at least was on board for whatever reason. Um, she was on set at times as well. Um, and I'm guessing the reason was money. I mean, I don't know. It, it doesn't say, you know, I assume she wasn't doing it for free. I'm, I'm sure she was compensated in some way. How much I, I can't say. Um, it may have been just well, it didn't look like a 30 million dollar movie. So, no, no, it was like a 15 million dollar movie. Um, it didn't look like a $15 million movie either. Well, let's, let's check. Shall we? I can look. I believe while, you. I'm just saying talking, like, but the, the cast was probably most of that money. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm sure she got quite a bit as well. I don't know about that. I really don't. Um, yeah. We don't have numbers for that, but I'm just guessing. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The budget was 27 million. Yeah. Where did all that go? So I don't know. Um, I mean, they, they only shot for like 26 days. Um, they shot in, in Alaska on site and they shot in the fall going into the winter. Cause 
uh, Scott Walker wanted it, it to really feel like it would have at that time of year. Um, so maybe it, it was... sounded like you said Skywalker wanted that to. Yeah, Luke that. Luke Skywalker. I had um... a second guess. What? <laughs> why was why was Skywalker there? Yeah, Luke anyway. Luke thought this was very important after his days training Jedi. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but that's I mean yeah that's how the movie ends. I did feel like the music in the credit sequence when they're showing all the women was a little odd for what it was we were looking at. That whole um, sequence was kind of weird. But that's the movie, man. It's it's, it's heavy. It's dark. Yeah. Now um, we got to rate it. Yeah, we do. We do. So we have our KJO meter. Uh, we rate movies uh, zero through twenty, zero low, twenty high. We do this on overall quality and overall caginess. And um, you know, let's let's get going on that. Do you want to? Do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? No, I can go first. You can go uh, first. It, right. Can you answer a question for me, real quick, though? I certainly can. What did I rate Bad Lieutenant Protocol New Orleans? An eight. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to give this a seven because I think it was slightly worse than Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. Really? Yeah. Actually, IMDb agrees with me. I was just noticing that. Actually, yeah, they do. It's a 6.6 on IMDb, whereas Bad Lieutenant or 6.4, Bad Lieutenant Port of Call is 6.6. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, they're on a 10 point scale. So that means we're real low. <laughs> compared to that. I mean that's true. We didn't like either of those movies as much as they did. Um I actually thought this was better. Okay. Than Fair Bad enough. Lieutenant. Um I thought that uh Nick, Vanessa Hudgens and John Cusack both provided good performances, uh, particularly Cusack in this pulled off a, a really good performance. I mean he plays he plays a very good bad guy in this movie. Um and so I, was, I think exhibit was better than 50 cent. So uh, that's true. That's certainly <laughs> true. That is true. Um, I, but I, yeah, I also gave bad Lieutenant an eight. I definitely preferred this movie. I'm actually going to give this movie a 10. Wow. We're way off on this one. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this one's a little different for us. That gives it an eight and a half overall on quality. Now we've got caginess. There's like, no real caginess in this movie. He gets a little heated in the interrogation scene, but other than that, he's pretty calm, collected. Yeah. He's sympathetic and empathetic. He's caring. He's very mellow through most of this. And when he does get heated, it's all very legitimate. It's all very reasonable. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give it like a two on caginess. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't think it's... Yeah, there's almost nothing. I mean, if you're watching a movie, this movie, to hoping to see a little cage freak out, you're not going to. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. So an eight and a half on quality and a two on caginess. So normally at this point, we would go ahead and add a movie to our wheel o cage. But because this was a special episode that we did outside of our normal wheel, we don't actually have to do that this week so next time next week we're going to have a brand new wheel of cage just going to pick a brand new movie based on what happened from snowden our snowden episode not this episode so that's not happening this time all right uh, but go to comingofcage.com for all of our links to our stuff you can of course subscribe on your podcast app of choice you can watch us on youtube and we've got our wheel of cage and we have our cage bingo series where and if we you play bingo if- 
if you do listen to us on something like Spotify, you know, give us a rating. We'd appreciate that. Yes. And if you drop us a review somewhere, like a written review, please let us know. We will read it on the show. That's right. So Derek will do his best Nicholas Cage impression while he's reading it. It's going to be glorious. He's working on it. It's it's yeah, he's he's test running it right now. Oh, boy. It's not ready for prime time yet, but how's the pressure? We're getting there. All right. Well, I think that's it for us. This has been the Coming of Cage podcast. I'm Derek. That's Ryan. See you. Hopefully not in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs>